Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome along to this week's High Performance Podcast. I can't believe it, it's the end of Series 2. The professor's in the house. Hey Damien. Hey Jake, how are you? Are you alright? Well, I, mean, I just can't believe we've gone through the whole of Series 1 and Series 2. I know, it seems like just yesterday that we were releasing uh, the interview with uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and we were really excited about some of the guests that we had coming up, so... Yeah, it shows you how fast it's flown by. You know, the old saying that time flies when you're having fun definitely is true on this. Absolutely. I think Johnny Wilkinson would refer to it as flow. By the way, what a response to the episode with Johnny Wilkinson. You know what? When we were recording it um, in the hotel just outside London, I thought to myself, right, I'm really struggling with some elements here. And then I listened to the podcast, obviously, when it got released, and I thought, yeah, there's still some things that I'm finding it hard to get my head around. And I'm now on listen number three, having actually done the interview myself. (laughs) But what what I found fascinating is so many people with the same experience. I'm seeing people saying, right, I need two or three listens at this to really understand it. Yeah, definitely. I've had a lot of people sort of write to me and say that he was he was referencing the work of a writer called Eckhart Tolle or people talking about he was using meditation techniques that and have given me ideas to say, why don't you go and read about this? And there were some elements of it that left me a little bit confused. But I think Johnny's main message was confusion is fine because that stimulates curiosity. That means that you should then go and explore it more. So yeah, I'm delighted that people are, are choosing to invest time to go back and try and understand these key messages. And I'm so pleased you mentioned the word explore because I think having listened to it a few times now, that is the big takeaway for me. And I've actually done a sort of a little bit of a life audit, right? And I've gone back and I've looked at all the things in my life that were the same as five years ago. And then I've asked myself whether I've explored those areas enough and maybe the reason why they're the same and I haven't grown or developed in those particular areas is because I haven't explored enough. Now, I just want to put the caveat in here. I've not included my wife (laughs) in this thing. (laughs) In case she tunes into the podcast and thinks, hold on a minute, what sort of exploration is he talking about? But all of the things where I think, why am I still doing that same thing that five years ago I wanted to stop doing? Or why do I still have an ambition to achieve something that for the last two or three years I've written down on the 1st of January that this year I will do this or that and I've still not done it? And I've come to the conclusion, thanks to Johnny, that it's because I have not explored that area of my life enough. And that is my plan for 2021. Brilliant. That's fantastic. I think like, I had a similar experience, but uh, in a more practical way that I had to get a new phone a couple of weeks ago. And uh, it was after the Johnny interview. And when I was looking at all the contacts, when the guy in the shop was helping me transfer everything across, 
And it made me realize just how many of the contacts that are in my phone that would be shocked or surprised if I ever chose to pick it, pick it up and dial their number. And I think you're right. I think doing this editing and just this curiosity of exploring why do we do stuff? How do we break out habits that are not helpful to us anymore um, is really useful. I think a big thing that I took out of Johnny's message, Jake, and I think this is helpful for anybody that wanted to listen to it was that he was really keen to emphasize there is no right answer. There's no wrong answer. The question is, does it help you or is it unhelpful? And answering that certainly feels a lot kinder to yourself to be able to make those changes if you, uh, if you want to. It's a really good little sort of sanity check that, isn't it? Every time you make a big decision or even a small decision or have a conversation or decide to change your approach to something, you just ask yourself that question. To me, is this helpful? And if the answer is yes, then you go for it, right? Yeah, definitely. I mean, Johnny gave us that, didn't he? That there was one question where we asked him about what are your three non-negotiable behaviours? And he just said, I can't answer that because what I might say to you might not be helpful for somebody else. That, and, 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 and I think that that gives you the idea that this is very much an individual discovery uh, for anybody listening to it, that, that we're not offering you formulas that say, do this and success will follow. We're saying, explore, be curious, and above all, ask yourself, does this help me or not? You are totally right. And I think the other thing, as well as our reflections, is the reflections of other people. And there's a, there's a gentleman called John McAvoy. Um, he's actually a, a former armed robber, but he's now a, a, an athlete who com- competes in Ironman triathlons. He got in touch to say it's the best podcast he's ever heard. Tim Krull, who's back in the, uh, the Dutch squad and will probably be involved in the Euros, he put a message on his Instagram saying it's the best podcast out there. Let me just run through a few other comments from people, Damien, because... It's so important for us to get reviews and to get ratings from people. It helps the podcast immensely. Um, Someone here said, phenomenal. I gobbled up these discussions. Fascinating insights into what makes so many of these guests so successful. Someone else said, this is outstanding. The beauty of this pod is not just purely because of the guests, but the relationship between Jake and Damien. Ah, brilliant. There you go, mate. Um, there was one from Trunky saying best podcast in a long time. If you've been searching for a podcast with real value rather than just the same old droning on about keys to success, then you found it. Adrian says that he's just discovered the podcast and he's listened intently to Johnny Wilkinson. He's the operations officer for the RAF UK based Reaper force. So he works in a team that's asked to perform to the highest standards. So that means a lot for us. If he enjoys the pod, Gary Malin, mind blown away listening to Johnny Wilkinson. Um, and, Scott, one brother, started listening on speaker, but the depth of the conversation meant I needed to immerse. So headphones went on. Well, what we're going to do for you all, and we did this at the end of series one, we're going to do it at the end of series two and series three and series 55. We're just going to sit, have a chat and pull up a few clips that we've heard over the course of the second series and just sort of discuss them really. Um, Before we get into this, though, I just want to reiterate, we simply could not do this podcast without the brilliant support of our partner Lotus Cars. They've been with us since day one. They believed in us before the podcast had even um, been recorded. And the fact that they came with us on this journey means an awful lot. So to everybody at Lotus Cars, I just want to say thank you so much. Um, I genuinely believe that this podcast is impacting people's lives. And if it wasn't for you at Lotus, we wouldn't be able to impact those lives. So Thank you so much for the support for Series 1 and Series 2. And if you're at home and you want to check out a genuine high-performance car brand, then just have a look at Lotus Cars on social media. Have a look at the new 
all electric via. So, Damien, should we do this? Should we take a look back at Series 2? Yeah, I'd love to. Like I say, it's been a, an awful lot of fun to be involved in, so it's nice to reflect back on some of the big lessons that we've taken. Okay, well, let's get going then. First of all, you're going to hear three clips here. You're going to hear the England Rugby League boss, Sean Wayne, talking about the basic manners his players have to have. You're going to hear Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, the Manchester United boss, talking about the impact of Bruno Fernandes when he arrived at the club and the former Manchester United player Phil Neville on the impact that Eric Cantona had. Have a listen to these first three clips. It, it was just very, very easy for me to be very open with the players. You know, I can walk in an hotel if we're playing in London and I can listen to George Williams speaking to the receptionist and he might say, please and thank you, and that receptionist is happy. Um... And, and, and I get him at dinner saying, I, I heard you, your manners were really good with that moment on reception. And he'd be like, why are you listening to what I'm saying, you know? But, and what did Bruno do? So as, as someone that's come in, it's not easy, is it, to come in halfway through a season or to come in, in even in, in the summer transfer window, to come into a squad that's already formed. What did he do where the players immediately thought, right, this guy is, is one I, of them? He's got the talent, of course. That's You can see the qualities there and we've seen that for a long time. But then again, he steps up when it matters and he does it when it matters. He's delivered crosses, he's delivered assists, he's scored goals, he's took penalties, he's done everything uh, in a short space of time that you'd expect. And uh, off the field? And off the field as well in training and he, he demands of me, he demands of his teammates and the first day he was in the club, he shook everyone's hand. He, he doesn't, really? he didn't come in here thinking I'm the, I'm the big shot, I'm, you follow me. No, he shook absolutely every staff member's hand. And you noticed that? And of course, that's, this is a family, Man United, we've always been a family and Sir Alex, the way he's, created this atmosphere in this dress in this uh, training ground i think is unique and and Cantona was was almost like here this is what this is what the top players do and we at united we had the best players you know in scheme were there but this is what the best players do and, and you, people talk to me about Cantona. what did he used to do he used to get a ball get a wall and just kick a ball against the wall, left foot, right foot, control it with the outside of his foot, drag it to his right, uh, play it with his left. It was just like simple drills that made him so good on a Saturday. Somebody would cross a ball into the box and he would hit, hit volley after volley, but it was just simple. It was just repetition of simplicity. And uh, that's what that's what Cantona was. He trained every single day as if it was a World Cup final. Every single pass mattered. Every single touch mattered. And 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 then afterwards, he did his twelve to fourteen reps extra that 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 made him the uh, one of the most influential uh, players at Manchester United. Right, Damien. Very different clips. All of the same theme. And you've spoken about this in in the books that you've written. You would describe these people that carry out the standards required as cultural architects. Could you just explain what that is? Yeah, that's right. So the phrase comes from a Norwegian psychologist called Willy Raleo, who said that when you want to change the culture in any team or business or organisation, you need leaders without the title of being leaders that just come and carry standards and then reinforce them. So he talks about you need four or five in a dressing room that really make things happen. And how they traditionally get recognised in most organisations is they're either the best players or they're the larger-than-life characters. 
But when in high-performing cultures, a cultural architect is somebody that embodies the best behaviours. Now, somebody that doesn't embody them, that might have a large influence, is often described as a cultural assassin, that they undermine the culture subtly. But what those clips demonstrate there is the behaviours such as Sean Wayne listening to George Williams just speak with a politeness and courtesy to the lady on the hotel desk is an example of just showing respect for everybody. Bruno Fernandez coming in and um, shaking everybody's hand when he came into the club is a sign of humility, that he doesn't think he's better than anybody, regardless of being one of the record signings. And then the Phil Neville example is uh, describing Cantona that was seen as a catalyst for what happened at Manchester United and the fact that he came in and he was dedicated to doing extra training. And that training was about just keeping things simple, but making sure you can execute it under pressure. So they're all brilliant examples of what this phrase cultural architects are about. They set the standard through their own behaviours that others then want to live up to and aspire towards. You see, we had a similar thing when when we set up our production company, Whisper. It was myself, Sunil Patel, who's the CEO, and David Coulthard. And David obviously came from a Formula One background, so he was very intent on a uniform. So when we were out filming, he didn't want Whisper turning up, sort of looking like a ragtag bunch, any old clothes that they've thrown on that day, no one knowing who you're representing or what you're representing. And he was very clear. He said, the standards that this company are you wear the gear that we give you and it looks great and it's nice. Now we then had a situation where TV is a creative medium, right? So we want the best, most creative producers and editors and researchers. We want people with blue sky thinking and we want mavericks and and we want people to come and challenge us and push the boundaries. So then we had this really difficult thing to marry up with. We want mavericks, but we're also asking them to fit into the way that we want them to be. So how in a culture... Do you create that where you encourage individuality but fitting into the structure? Yes, it's a really good question. And I think this is where it comes down to the question that we ask on the podcast about the non-negotiable behaviours. So what you're not trying to do is is set up rules because rules give people the chance to break them. And we often assume that we catch people out. When you have behaviours, these are just the standards that define you, your team and your organisation when you're at your very best. They almost act as guidelines where people then understand that these are not to be compromised. So while she's describing the experience at Whisper as being, we're not trying to stop you being creative or innovative or imaginative, but we want you to understand that you're representing our business because one of the key behaviours at Whisper is this idea that you're a team. And one of the ways that you can symbolise that is through just wearing that uniform. It creates a sense of belonging that we're all in it together. So that's a big reason why we talk about non-negotiable behaviours with the guests on the show, because it's the idea of many of them are cultural architects themselves. And it's what are the standards of behaviour that you're not prepared to compromise on, that you demonstrate it and you would challenge people if they don't demonstrate it and they're working on the same team as you. Brilliant. I love that. Now, one of the things that has really um, astounded me actually on this podcast, when I first had the idea for it and me and Damien got together and we started discussing how we would approach it and how we would create the biggest impact possible to try and help people change their lives, I did not expect how often our guests would refer to their childhood experiences. So we're going to play you some clips now from Marcelino Sambe, who is the principal dancer at the Royal Ballet. Uh, If you haven't listened to his episode, please go and find it early on in series two. It was amazing. You'll hear once again from the England rugby league coach, Sean Wayne, and also from Johnny Wilkinson, all of them 
referring to their childhood and how that determines their behaviour on a daily basis. So how do you protect that young boy who's now on the big stages of the world to make sure that freedom is still is still at the essence I of what I love do. that question because these things that I think a lot about, actually. Um, I've, that's, that's me being in the Royal Ballet. That's why I wanted to be here, to, uh, people to understand that that's my special something that I can never let go. And my coaches know that I, I, I will never be... Uh, I'll, I'll never be someone else. I'll never try to be someone else. I'll never try to be this uh, shapely prince or like the idea that the prince is that way and you'll act that way. I'll do how I feel. I'll, I'll do justice to my talent and what my legacy is. And um, to have a company that allows me to do that and my coaches, that's why I'm here. I don't have any good memories. I only have bad memories of being a kid. I left home when I was 15. And I mean no good memories, only really bad ones. I think over the years, if I'm honest with you, my dad beat me to a pulp two or three times a week. And I never learned. But what that did, I remember going to bed, wanting to die when I'm eight, nine, ten. And I thought, if ever I have kids, they're never going to feel this way. So it made me a better dad. You know, so when, when Wigan got rid of me, I thought to myself, if ever I coach, I'm, I'm, I'm never going to have a player feeling this way. I'm going to tell him everything. I look at the childhood experience and I remember from my own that you're able to become whatever you need to become to make the most of every moment. Like the child says, I'm going to be an astronaut. They are an astronaut. They're not me pretending mm. to be an astronaut. They become an astronaut because there isn't that sense of this is who I, who I really am and therefore I'm pretending. They haven't got an idea of who they are yet so they can be anything they want, which means they can engage fully in any moment. Now, this is interesting, Damien, because you and I have spoken a lot. You know, I, I think that quite a lot of what has come my way has happened because I was bullied at school and I failed my exams and all those things gave me kind of a bit of a coat of armour. You talk a lot about your upbringing with your dad as a boxing coach and what that taught you about discipline. And all the time, our guests, despite the fact that all of them have got to a global level of competition, they are all carrying the lessons of 20 or 30, 40 years ago. Yeah, and I think it opens up a really interesting debate around nature versus nurture. This is an area of research in neuropsychology that won't be settled in our lifetimes because the answer is we don't know how much of it is nature versus nurture. There's debate that suggests it's as much as 40% of our behaviour comes down to what we're born with, the genetics that we acquire. But what most people accept is that the vast majority of our behaviour is learned behaviour that often comes at quite early stages. So I think the example of Sean Waynes was really powerful about the horrible abuse he described that he suffered and the fact that he has no pleasant memories for him as a child and how that shaped him both as a father and a grandfather, but equally as a coach and the way that he treats everybody with, with that degree of respect and courtesy and discipline. He's somebody that's taken a traumatic experience and used it to triumph in his later life. You know, the Marcellino Sambe one fascinated me because, again, we're talking about some of the traumatic experience of losing his father and doing an activity that within the community he grew up in wasn't necessarily as revered and respected as what he now finds himself, but how he takes that young boy onto the stage with him to protect him and dance with freedom. And then the Johnny Wilkinson bit I thought was brilliant because 
I love the idea of just talking about children don't plan the future. They don't look back at the past. They just immerse themselves in the moment of it. It also, Damien, comes back to something we talk about so often on the podcast, which is fault versus responsibility. And for people that haven't heard this before, it's kind of bad news, really, because it means that even things that are not your fault is still your responsibility. But then you can flip it around and say, well, it's it's good news because it means that you're in control. It means that if you have the right mindset, external factors cannot affect your life negatively unless you allow them to. And actually, the three people that we've just heard from are prime examples of that. It's not Marcelino Sambe's fault that his dad died when he was young. It's not Sean Wayne's fault that his dad, as he said, beat him to a pulp three or four times a week. It's not Johnny Wilkinson's fault that when he was born, he had this impending sense of doom all the time and was looking for ways to resolve that. But all three of them have become one of the greatest rugby league coaches, one of the greatest dancers and one of the greatest rugby players on the planet because they took the responsibility rather than looking for the blame, blaming outside factors for never achieving what they dreamed of doing. Yeah, definitely. I think it's been it's been a really powerful listen, that. And I think some people often find it uncomfortable because, you know, you were saying about this audit that you've been doing over the last five years and the habits we get into making excuses can often be a habit or pointing the finger or, you know, and looking outside of us. And yet, like you say, it's been a consistent theme with everybody that we've met that whatever the fault is or wherever it lies, it isn't where they invest their time or their energy. They start to look at how can I deal with this? How can I make it better? I've heard Michael Phelps. We're going to hear him in, we're going to hear him referred to in one of the next clips, but Michael Phelps' coach, Bob Bowman, used to teach him this, and he used to talk about the win question, where he would say, what's important now? So at any moment in time, what's important now for you? Not, and if making excuses and pointing the finger is the most important thing, you'd also then better adjust to the fact that you're not likely to win at whatever your task is. And there's a famous example in Michael Phelps' career where when he won the eight gold medals at the Beijing Games in one of his races. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. His goggles broke quite early on in the race. 
And he talks about the repeated uh, question of what's important now focused him that rather than worry about the fact that he couldn't see, what's important now was just to pace himself, make sure that he just followed the process. And he ended up winning the race literally on the final touch against the rival called Vukovic. It's really good, that. What a great story. And actually, when you talk about fault versus responsibility, right, Damien, I think sometimes people see it as like a really big thing. The death of a family member, being bullied, you know, losing a job. But it can be really subtle and it can be there in your daily life. You know, one of the things that I've tried to do since creating this pod with you is taking my own advice and the advice we've heard from lots of other people, which is your reaction to stuff is what really matters, not the stuff that's happening. So when someone says something that I find offensive or I think they're being rude or they're being dismissive, I find it very hard now to be offended or annoyed or frustrated or pop back at them because I think, hold on a minute, you can say whatever you like. (laughs) That's not important. What's important now is my reaction to that. And it's almost like a kind of a superpower, really, where you think it literally does not matter what people say to me. Because the reaction of me is what matters. And if you can get that into your head, God, it feels great, you know? I think you're absolutely right. I mean, when we first started this, I, I, I was quite concerned about, say, social media. and Because I'm quite a sensitive soul at heart. And I think people writing abuse or being unkind or attacking you was a real concern of mine. And I think you're right that when you realise, when you say, you know what, I'm going to do the best I can at the moment I'm in, with the tools that I have. And if that isn't good enough for some people, well, that's not my fault. My responsibility was to turn up and do the best I can. And and if somebody comes at you with an aggressive or hostile response, that's not my fault either. My responsibility, like you say, is, is how we choose to respond to it and how we deal with it with grace or with dignity. Brilliant. And the final point I want to make is for any guests that join us and they talk to us about their their childhood or their experiences of the past, you know, that is when we know that what they're discussing is absolutely real. And Reese Wabara, another fantastic episode that you should really go back and listen to if you haven't, you know, everything he spoke to us came from a point of being genuine and being real. And he believes that that is one of the superpowers that he lives by. And he cannot stand frauds and and liars and you know he has a real issue with people who use social media to tell a tale that isn't necessarily true right let's um let's move on you you mentioned there about uh, a story involving michael phelps let's get to that then because we're gonna explore the fine line between self-belief and arrogance so here's a story from a former olympic cyclist and all-round top bloke with huge thighs chris hoy and one of the greatest current athletes that we have in this country, the effervescent, talented, wonderful Dina Asher-Smith. Both of them with very different stories, but all about the fine line between belief and arrogance. Nothing annoys me more than athletes talking about themselves in the third person. Yeah, it's, it's the most pretentious, arrogant thing. I don't know, it's just such a really weird thing to start talking about. Damien Hughes agrees with that point, Chris. Oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) It was after Beijing and I got interviewed by one of the Scottish journalists and he'd heard, he'd been in a press conference with Michael Phelps and Michael Phelps had said, um, one of the the American journalists had said, a lot of people have been giving their opinion on Michael Phelps over the last 24 years, but what does Michael Phelps think about Michael Phelps? And Michael Phelps started referring to Michael Phelps in the third person. So this journalist asked me the same question, but for me, thinking this will be an interesting one, and I said, um, I think the day that Chris Hoy refers to Chris Hoy in the third person is the day Chris Hoy disappears up his own arse. And, <laughs> and, uh, and they were like, 
we all warm up in lanes on a warm up track and some people will warm up like in your lane like come running at you but um don't come in my lane yeah i'm one of those people that i kind of hold my lane hold my space if you want to run in my lane it's fine like i'll run straight through you but (laughs) (laughs) i don't know but that's what i mean i don't mind if you're going to come into my space then i'm not going to give it up but it's just about believing in yourself and also acknowledging that they're wasting energy if they're actively going out of their way to be something that they're not. If naturally, bravado is how they run well, then whatever, like that's their business and you do you. But at times when people are actively trying to distract you, it actually gives me a bit more confidence. I love those stories, Damien. And actually, the Dina Asher-Smith one I really like because you can almost see it might tip into the arrogance of, you want to run in my lane, I'll run right over the top of you. But she says it with not a hint of arrogance, just a whole huge dollop of self-belief, which you need to have if you're going to do what she does for a living. Yeah, very much. I think... What both of those clips demonstrate, Jake, is the importance of the Dunning-Kruger law. And I know we've mentioned this in the first two series, but the Dunning-Kruger law is named after two um, psychologists at Stanford University, Dunning and Kruger. And what they come to the understanding of is that if you're good at something, you're able to articulate why you're good at it because you're smart enough to have investigated and been obsessed about it to explain the mechanics of it. Whereas if you're not particularly good at something. You're too stupid to understand why you're not good at it. And I think that gives us that thin line between confidence and arrogance. So if you're confident, you know that you're good at it and you can explain it. So you often hear it. I often think when you listen to, say, football coaches or sports coaches after a game, the ones that are confident are the ones that after a defeat, they take responsibility. They talk about, we didn't do this well enough, or our passing wasn't crisp enough, or our intensity wasn't good enough. The ones that are arrogant will often come and blame external factors. They'll blame a referee. They'll blame the opposition. They'll blame the crowd. They'll blame the lack of preparation or whatever it is. And that's where it crosses that line because they're looking to point the finger and blame external factors. Confident people understand why they didn't do well enough and know how they're going to fix it for next time. There's a really nice quote that I read a while ago and I I've, I kind of refer to it whenever I inadvertently spend time around people who are arrogant. And by the way, one of the other things I've started to do in the last few years is really be quite strict about the people I spend my time with. And that is a good lesson for anyone listening to this podcast. Just have a look at the people that are around you. And if they don't make you feel great, you know, it comes back really, doesn't it, to the Johnny Wilkinson conversation that we had at the start of the podcast today about explore. Explore getting rid of people who aren't good for you. And there's a quote that um, I read um, a while ago, and I often refer to it when I spend time with people who are arrogant and they come across so sort of brash and confident and dismissive of others. And it is that arrogance is the camouflage of insecurity. When I get a comment about the podcast or my presenting or me or whatever, it's actually nothing to do with me at all. And it is everything to do with the person who has sent that comment to me. I work in in elite sport. And this is one of the things that I'm quite strident about. I was talking to uh, some guys this week about it, where it's a provocative statement where I often say that people that use the term banter to excuse uh, some of their conduct, I've got a mental model in my head that makes an assumption that they're behaving like a bit of a dick. Because there's a distinction in my mind between banter and humour. Humour is inclusive. Everybody's in on the joke. Banter relies on you excluding somebody from the joke. And it's often about making them feel 
um, inferior or, or bad about something that they can't do anything around. And I think, to me, it's a handy guide that when you go into, say, dressing rooms, I think that kind of banter can often undermine trust. It can undermine psychological safety where people are on the back foot and feeling defensive. So you're right. I love that. I love that quote about it's a camouflage um, for their own insecurities is a great way of understanding it. Okay, we spoke about um, childhood experiences at the beginning and how the great thing about those is that they're real. Talking about things being real, we really enjoy it when we talk about people's home lives. And it's incredible how often, actually, Damien, people who are in a really high-profile, exciting position get a real... um, What do they get? They kind... It's almost like it's part of their armory really is that they've got a home life where they can go to and it's such a different way of looking at the world that they're normally in that it kind of insulates them in some way yeah very much where again you, you you're hearing examples of people that that see you for the person you are not the image that you put out there i mean i know we we're both fans of the old basketball coach john wooden where he talks about worry about your character because that's who you are not your reputation that's who people think you are and i think what we've seen as a theme is that so many of our guests are talking about the people that know them for the character of who they really are and how they value them as a person, not as a name or a celebrity or a sports person. Well, let's hear a couple of clips then. This is the Chelsea boss, Frank Lampard, talking about how his wife is so instrumental to him running a football club and also to Phil Neville discussing how he operates at home to the same high standards that he applied to his professional sporting career. I might give you a great headline out of this podcast if one of the papers nick this, but because I do throw a lot of things off Christine, and it's like, she's not like picking what fullback we're going to play the weekend. But at the same time, if I have certain issues which are lifey issues or and actually football issues, sometimes I can I can definitely go home. I'm fortunate to have that because I think she's very work orientated. I love the fact that I have somebody there that gets working environments, and like, and I I love to bounce because it's a different view, yeah, it's a different opinion. I can get bogged down. I spend so much time in Cobham. It's great sometimes. I go, Christian, what do you think about this problem? Yeah. I've got a player here and you know, he didn't turn up for training yesterday, but you still probably need him at the week. What do you think? And she might go, yeah, but has he got a girlfriend, wife, a problem? Have you spoken to them? Maybe you should speak to them. And I'm like, yeah. You know, like, so mm. she's not my life coach as such, but I'm very fortunate to have someone to, to bounce things off at home. That's what I say to, to my son and daughter now. I mean, they can have anything they want. Uh, but they've got to earn it and uh, they, they have to work as hard as they possibly can. I mean, during this lockdown, we've never allowed them a lie in past eight o'clock. And that might seem, that might seem cruel, but we, we, we want them to, we want them to get out of bed in the morning with, yeah. a, with, with a thirst, with a, with a hunger to, to go and do their Zoom classes, to go to my son, go to the training pitch and does it do his extra work. And yes, he's, he's had a bit of off time, but he's probably only took three or four days off because ultimately, I wanted him to drive it himself and I wanted uh, my daughter to get up out of bed in the morning. We, we as a family train before breakfast, that's our mentality. That's our, since they were five, we've, we've always tried to get them up before breakfast to train. Love that. And, and I'm Love like, that, man, we struggled to get out of the house. And, and, and we're always late for the school. And run. my daughter, my daughter's got cerebral palsy. She's, she's, she's disabled. And at five years of age to get, who, who struggled to walk, she had a K frame to get her into the gym, to do her core exercises, to do her leg strength was, it was hard. It made you cry some mornings, but ultimately now when she gets out of bed and goes and does 5k, I'm like, 
it was worth the pain back then when we was five or six. And we used to do call sessions and we used to, on a Sunday morning was out, was the one morning I used to say to them, everybody else is lying in today. Sunday morning is, is our time where, where we would go do 100 lengths in the pool or, or do something that would get them into the frame of mind of, actually, we've got to do this to succeed, the hard work, the determination. And and now my son goes out training on his own. I never very rarely, unless unless he wants something, unless we, I want something like a game of football, I want them to be motivated themselves. I really enjoyed those clips, Damien. We, we have a phrase in my family, which is roots and wings, which is my mum and dad used it and it's all about giving us the wings to fly and go wherever we want in the world and to explore and to challenge ourselves and have a really enjoyable exciting life and at the same time giving us the roots so that at any point we know that we've got a proper solid base so the phrase I use with my kids is I'll always leave a light on there will always be a light here and you can always find your way back home you can always come back and whatever it's a it's a non-judgmental space so we will always put our arms around you and love you whatever is going on and I think you know when we talk about mental health and young people that it's an important message to give them um but that that story there with Phil talking about really like his daughter who's got cerebral palsy like he is challenging her there isn't he to really go outside her own comfort zone because he feels it's the right thing for her and he's probably right yeah, I think there's, there was something really quite moving when Phil was talking about that. And it goes back to the early conversation about fault versus responsibility. It's not his daughter's fault that she was born with cerebral palsy, but she's taken the responsibility of leading a full and active life. And I know that she's doing very well at school and, um, you know, she's got ambitions to, uh, to go on to university and really develop a successful career. And I think a lot of that is that discipline and that willingness to see beyond your immediate horizons that Phil and his wife have uh, have obviously really embedded into her. And there's so much conversation on this podcast about people pushing themselves to the limits, dealing with criticism, dealing with the, the trials and the stresses and and all of the things that come with being a high-performance operator, and at times it isn't easy. So it's really important, I think, for us to end by talking about self-love, and you're going to hear... A couple of clips here from Michelle Moan talking about the use of a life coach and how she realised she had to treat her body like she treats her business. And also Johnny Wilkinson mentioning that he wrote a book and that actually he reflects on that now and thinks that maybe that could have caused a spike in mental health cases. Have a listen. And meantime, I was abusing myself, eating, because that was my way of dealing with stress. So I put on over eight stone, and that's when Rachel Hunter said to me, why don't you treat your body like a business? And that was just like a light switch for me, thinking, well, I wouldn't abuse my own business, so why am I abusing my own body? I got, you know, there's an American coach that I don't see him anymore. He's a friend now, um, but I was recommended to go and see him, and I called, and I was crying down the phone, and he said, jump on a flight. And I went to America for like a week. I stayed um, in Palm Spring on a, a beach house. And all I did was work. It sounds pathetic, but all I did was work on me for the first time inside. Who am I? I didn't know who I was. I didn't know what I, I turned into. And I learned a lot about myself. And I learned what was important in life going forward. 
I wrote a book in 2004, just after the World Cup, I would be surprised if there wasn't sort of a spike in mental health cases after I wrote it. Just because it was so dogmatic. You know, you were mentioning about suffering, I was mentioning about suffering, stressing, that's all the message is. To all these kids with passion for rugby, I pretty much sort of eradicated the idea that passion had anything to do with performance. This is a really important way for us to end this podcast, Damien. And I think it's that quote of Johnny's where he says he thought that stressing and sacrificing was going to give him the moments of great joy. And he realised that that mindset of stressing and sacrificing and struggling just created more stressing, sacrificing and struggling. That is such an important message for people, man. Chase the good, not the bad. Yeah, enjoy the journey is the is, is a key phrase on from this. I mean, I've 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 had this from a few people that have contacted us, having listened to the podcast and asking about how balanced are the lives of some of these guys that we're listening to. That is obsession really the key to it. And I think Johnny and Michelle's clips there tell us that actually you've got to enjoy the journey. If you're not enjoying the grind and and getting into the detail and if you start viewing things as a sacrifice rather than a privilege i think there's a message there that maybe you're not making life as helpful as you can for yourself and maybe it's time to just pause and reflect and that key message just be kind to yourself and when you do that it gives you the capacity to be kind to others as well i think you're totally right and you know i think that um just because other people love you, it doesn't necessarily rescue you from the fact that you don't love yourself. And I think that is more important than, of course, it's great to be loved by other people and to love other people and things, but it's absolutely, I think, anyway, the root, every conversation we've had on every episode of this podcast, the root of all of it is to love yourself, isn't it? Yeah, very much. And and, and again, it that's a phrase that people can easily misinterpret and think that that's about being selfish or being narcissistic. And it's not. It's just about respecting yourself and being kind to yourself and knowing that you're doing the best you can with what you have at the moment that you're in and not being so quick to pick up your flaws, your inadequacies and what we can't do. Focus on what we can. Yeah, it's about loving each other and, and not leaving yourself behind. And I think that one of the other key things with that, Damien, is sometimes we're so critical of the bad things that happen to us, right? But a lot of those bad things that have happened to us, well, all of those bad things that have happened to us have created the person that's sitting here now and talking. And you have had some crap days and some great days. I've had the same. Everyone listening to this has had some bad stuff. And you almost can't hate the bad stuff too much because that is what what we are. Again, that draw on some of Johnny's wisdom there that everything in many ways happens for a reason and it's up to us to be curious about that reason and work out how can we respond more effectively to it. Brilliant. Well, I've really enjoyed sharing the second series with you. I asked you at the end of the first series, I'll ask you again, will you come back for a third one? (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you for the invite. And uh, if you'd have me, I'd love to be back. Thank you. All right, deal. And um, the other thing that me and Damien really want to make clear is that we see this as so much more than just a podcast. We see this as a community. We want to talk to you as much as we want you to talk to us. So despite the fact we've now got a few weeks without any episodes, obviously you can go back and listen to the previous episodes, but continue to follow at High Performance on Instagram. Damien is at Liquid Thinker. I'm at Jake Humphrey, but also there's our YouTube channel as well. Just search for the High Performance Podcast on YouTube and you can subscribe there and you will be getting clips and stuff on there that you haven't heard on the podcast so far. Um, This is a genuine 
community. So any issues, any questions, any thoughts, any comments for us, please make sure that you share them with us. There's loads of ways you can get in touch. And if you can leave a review or you can rate the podcast, it makes all the difference in the world. The way these algorithms work, it just gives the podcast a much needed boost. And we want to continue bringing you this sort of stuff for free. And talking of us being able to do this for you for free, a big part of that is Lotus Cars. So once again, Lotus, we just want to end this second series by thanking you so much, don't we, Damien? Yeah, very much. They've been they've been phenomenal support and they've believed in it from the very start. Brilliant. Damien, enjoy a little break and we shall kick off again in earnest in a few weeks' time with Series 3 of the High Performance Podcast. Looking forward to it already. Thanks, Jake. Thanks, mate. And the final thanks is to you at home, in your cars, on your commutes, in your houses, with your kids, on your own, however you listen to this podcast. The reaction in the UK and around the world has been phenomenal. So keep spreading the word. Keep on sharing your thoughts. Keep on bringing new listeners to us. And we'll see you for Series 3 of the High Performance Podcast very soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.